from his recent trip to New York City. And let's be real, that's all we're really going to be talking about this episode. I'm Cassie. Thanks, Cassie. Hi, I'm Ryan, and my brain is ready to explode. I can take over the intros when you are sitting there with a panicked and pained look on your face. Look, it is quite warm in here, and I've just spent four days in the city. I saw six shows in three days. It's a lot of shows. Yep, pretty much the whole point of going. I saw some of the sights. I walked around a lot. I was on the subway. I did also go to the Museum of Broadway, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Oh, I have a desperate need to go to the Museum of Broadway. The Museum of Broadway is very, very good. Um, let's talk about some of the shows, and then maybe the museum can be like a filler to break <laughs> up the shows. <laughs> and we are going and to try and keep there. this episode under an hour. Oh, boy. All right. Well, then we better get started. So you saw six shows, Ryan. I saw six shows. Uh, very quickly, they were A Christmas Carol, the one-man show starring Jefferson Mays. They were Funny Girl starring Leah Michelle. Strange Loop. Shout out BGSU. And then I went to the Museum of Broadway because it was literally next door to the Lyceum where uh, Strange Loop was. It was literally next door. It was great. And then I saw... And Juliet, Kimberly Akimbo, and then I took a hard left and was supposed to see Beetlejuice and did not see Beetlejuice and instead saw Wicked. I wondered when I saw Wicked pop up, I was like, I don't remember that being one of the shows that he was going to see. Because I feel like we would have talked about it because Chase and I saw it on Broadway last year. We should have talked about it. We'll talk about it more today because I did also see um, Brittany Johnson in it. Um, oh. who's the first black uh, yes. Galinda. So we'll talk about that for sure. But I did bail on Beetlejuice because Alex Brightman suffered a concussion and is no longer performing. Oh, no. And he might not perform the show again because it closes in like a week. Yeah. While I did want to see Beetlejuice or at least thought I wanted to see Beetlejuice, turns out I wanted to see Alex Brightman play Beetlejuice. You know that makes you one of the worst kinds of theater goers, right? hundred percent if i could have seen him do school of rock like that would have been amazing but the kind of person who doesn't go to the show just because the big performer is not performing yeah i know but these tickets are expensive they're so expensive i know i know but i'm really glad you got to see britney johnson in wicked because i got to see britney johnson phenomenal we'll talk about her and we'll talk about wicked and my god there's a lot of seats in that theater yes but first, the first show I saw was the one-man Christmas Carol starring Jefferson Mays, and I don't ever want to see Christmas Carol performed again. I'm good. But Muppets. That feels di- Like, watching a movie feels different. Like, I feel okay. like watching it be performed is different from watching a movie. You don't want to see Maybe. another live performance. I don't know. I don't want to see another live performance because if you do it with more than one person, you're just wasting people at this point. It's been done. How did that even work? Like, walk me through that process because I cannot envision it. So it is, okay, it was a tight 90 minutes, no intermission. Okay. Jefferson Mays does not stop talking. Well. It is basically a 90-minute monologue, but it is written in the original Dickens text. So it feels like you're watching charles dickens act and perform his way through the story because it's not just the dialogue it's the descriptions of what's happening and how things are happening and what's being done and who's doing what and how it looks 
Which is what Dickens used to do in the the later part of his life. Exactly. Exactly. So it it struck me like if I would, could see Sir Ian McKellen perform the one man Lear and like, you know, his Lear is going to be astounding, but also he's going to play all the daughters and jump back and forth between all three of them and Lear simultaneously while also describing the action. This was a weird thing, and it was really cool. It was also directed by Michael Arden. Oh, I love Michael Arden. And the direction and the cohesive vision of this show was so clear. Every single tiny little detail supported what the performer was trying to do. Everything worked together. Oftentimes, it can feel like here's the tech, here's the pretty lights, here's the show, and then also, hey, we're trying to tell this story, and it's not fully cohesive. This one was so cohesive. Like, I don't even know how many sound cues there were or how many transitions there were. Uh, The effects on his mic alone, because he he played narrator, Scrooge, and Marley basically at the same time, and he would switch between voices constantly, so he would have his narrator voice, his his Dickens voice, or whatever you want to call it, and then he would switch into Scrooge, change his physicality, the lights would shift, his the effects on his microphone would shift, and then he would switch into Marley, his physicality shifts, the light shifts, the projections shift, and the sound design of his microphone sh- shifts, like the, the, the sound EQ shifts. It sounds deeper or more gravelly or... For the female roles, it sounded slightly higher. The timing that that requires from a soundboard op mm-hmm. to pull that off, it's astounding. His Cratchit scene made me cry. I cried there. Like, I, I could feel myself tearing up as he's, like, introducing all of the individual children and how everything's terrible, but we all love each other. And then he got to Tiny Tim, and he did Tiny Tim without a crutch, but was just... It was just... It was beautiful and wonderful and i cannot imagine how many hours and hours and hours and hours this man spent talking into a mirror to figure this out well that sounds astounding it was and it didn't it didn't stop like i don't think he ever left the stage for more than like a second to like have an exit and then walk right back on as a different character maybe with a different hat there were a lot of parts of it that felt like you could do this as a giant monologue, as a one-man show at your local community theater with four different hats and a spotlight, right? It felt like that to an extent. But with Broadway money, Michael Arden, the entire powers of the Nederlander Theater, and also uh, an actor that spent probably months figuring this out. Oh, I'm sure. Michael Arden, uh, if you don't know the name... He directed the West End Deaf Spring Awakening production, um, and he performs as well. He's a very, very talented actor in his own right. Um, if you've seen the Paper Mill Playhouse Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. um, he is Quasimodo, just an astoundingly talented human being. I remember seeing the Deaf West Spring Awakening on Broadway. And that's the single greatest piece of art I've ever seen. And I cannot believe they didn't win Tony's. I still can't. Yeah. It's it's not right. But uh, Jefferson Mays for Tony, leading actor in a play, because nobody else talked more, if nothing else. Like, the dude <laughs> talked. He talked for 90 minutes. He's doing two show days. 
He's doing like eight, nine shows a week. He's got two understudies. He would have to, yeah. Also, Michael Arden for director of a play because this does not work if it's literally just one man. It only works with the cohesive vision that was very clearly behind it all. I'm calling my Tonys early now. So you uh, texted me after Christmas Carol and you said everything else is going to have a very hard time beating that. Yeah. And like that was the first thing you saw. So like (laughs) you're set up for disappointment. I was completely set up for disappointment. Everything else was terrible. Um, Just awful. No. That's not true. So was anything able to live up to the majesty? Kind of, sort of, maybe, not really, (laughs) but yes. My first day was the Jefferson Mays show, the one-man show, and then I followed that up with Leah just performing the hell out of Funny Girl. Funny Girl is a bad script, and this show was not a great show. There was extra stuff. It was too long. The plot doesn't really make a lot of sense. It, it's the epitome of Star Vehicle. Like the the guy who played uh, Eddie, who's the dance captain, literally had three different tap solos in this thing. It's like eight or nine minutes of stage time that literally did nothing for the story. It was just so they could show him off. Now he was incredible, and I believe he got Tony nominated. It's a Star Vehicle because it's him. And then it's Raymond Karimlu, who is amazing as Nick Arnstein. But then it was also Leah Michelle as Fanny Bryce. And I got to complete the Glee fever dream of watching Leah play Rachel, play Leah, play Fanny on Broadway. And it was very confusing. And I did sit down in that theater fully expecting Leah Michelle to uh, sing very good and that to be about it but she performed this whole role so well i didn't know that she could be funny and she was funny she did the voice the entire time she sounded like fanny she sounded like barbara streisand and she was able to keep that up through most of the vocals too i was just blown out of the water i thought it wasn't going to be great i thought i was going to hear her sing real good and that was going to be it and i was going to be able to make fun of her on this show and I can't because you can't. Oh, that's a disappointment. I can't. Sometimes terrible people are the most talented. Yeah, we live in a hell of a world. Whether or not she can read, she can sing and she can perform. Watching her do it though, like some of the notes she hit and the way she held it and the way she filled up a theater, like her her presence fills that whole place and her voice rings off the rafters like it's crazy like a recording doesn't know good but it did make me wonder what that role looks like when beanie performs it or when julie performs it yeah because i could very easily see both beanie and julie crush all the comedic stuff and then sing the songs pretty good whereas leah can probably sing those songs better than anybody else on the planet because she's been doing it forever and she's her voice is ridiculous but then if she can also act it really well like it just makes me think that they should have opened the show with her to begin with yeah which which we've talked about before have we we have we've brought that up before we were correct leah michelle as fanny bryce just should have been the thing from the get-go that show was 
almost three hours with an intermission. Like it's too long. It just dragged and dragged and dragged. Also, Tova Feldshu, Feldshu, I think that's Tova Feldshu was the replacement for Jane Lynch. Mm-hmm. So I saw her perform as well. She was very good. I imagine it was a very different Mrs. Bryce than Jane Lynch's was. Would have loved to see that. Mm-hmm. But she was uh, very Jewish. So I, I imagine that it's automatically different from however Jane played it. Uh, would have loved to see it, though. I saw Leah and I saw Jefferson on day one. Some incredible individual performances. Broadway still has star power. And that's my first day. Chris, of the two, Christmas Carol was the better show. Better material. Absolutely. 100%. And then I went and saw A Strange Loop, which I think is where this becomes maybe more of a conversation. Because I purposefully had not listened to it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, I didn't want to. Like I knew the 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 basics of it. I understood, you know, what it was about. But I wanted to experience it kind of in the theater, the way it's meant to be. I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm just pretentious. I understand why it won the Tony because it's doing stuff on stage. It's telling stories on stage that haven't been told in this way before ever. And they're doing it very well. I'm not the intended audience for this show, and that's not something. I say often because that's not how Broadway and theater works. And that was really, really nice to be able to sit in the theater and experience this show and not totally get it and not totally resonate with it, but to still have it affect you. Like it's not just meant for one very niche audience. Like we can all get something out of it. It's a weird thing because I wouldn't say I really enjoyed watching it because it's not that kind of show. Right. It's not like a pump up on your feet kind of you get rah, it rah, go get rah, rah. Yeah, yeah exactly. the world's yeah. great the world's great let's go or the good guys won and that's not what this show is it's very r very r rated the closest thing i can compare it to is spring awakening which is funny because we kind of touched on that already but it felt like watching what the original spring awakening must have been because it was something that was pushing the boundaries it was something that had not been done on stage. It was stories that hadn't been told on stage, at least not on this level. It was award-winning, and it was meant for kind of a more specific audience. So, yeah, it's uh, open for a couple more weeks. If you can get there and see it, get there and see it, because I do not know how this show lives after it leaves Broadway. I do not know. I do not think a tour works, and I don't think many regional theaters are going to be able to do this because you need... Seven, uh, well, you need six black queer men and one woman, black queer woman, I think, unless they cast it differently. I don't know because it's just Usher and then the six thoughts in his head that perform all of the other characters and roles. Yeah, Um, this seems to be a show that is so rooted in identity that I don't know how you would alter that casting without altering mm-hmm. the fabric of the show. Right. Each uh, different thought was portrayed by a black queer man that represented a different presentation of gayness, I think is maybe the best way to put it. Like they were each meant to represent a different 
stereotype and I don't quite know how to explain this more without like getting like without getting canceled. <laughs> right. Right. But because it, it's not it's not my place to talk about it, but I want I want to talk about it enough that people know it exists. Yeah. Well, and and what you were saying about this not being a show for you, um, we talk a lot in the librarian world and it it carries over very easily into into theater world um but we talk a lot about the importance of having window stories and having mirror stories so mirror stories are ones where you look into the story and you see yourself reflected back at you and then a window story is one where it gives you a glimpse into a reality that is very different from your own. That's good. Yeah. And they're, they're both very important because you need to see yourself represented in the world around you and in the stories that are told, but you also need to see the existence of different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for there to be stories out there in the world that are not written for you. Mm -hmm. And it's still important for you to see them and experience them. Yeah. Uh, I would not have gone and seen Strange Loop if Jimmy hadn't been one of the producers for it and won the Tony. I just, I would have picked a different show, but I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I got mm-hmm. to see it. Um, I was in the nosebleed seats. I was closer to the roof of that theater than the floor. And it was kind of like looking straight down at the stage. It's a very strange angle. It's a very old theater. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to see more... I don't know what the word is. A more, you just we use the word diverse a lot, but more more diverse stories at this level, because yeah. it's it's one thing for your local community theater to do a one act that tries to push boundaries, and that's good and needed and important. But that's not what we're talking about. To see this on Broadway is astounding, because at the end of the day, it's got to make money. And for a story like this to be able to to make money or at least not lose too much money um, is kind of unprecedented. That is the dream. And the people for whom this play is a mirror, it's so important that it exists and that it exists with such exposure. There is one other thing that happened in Strange Loop. I'm, I, I'm kind of purposely not talking about too much of the plot because I don't want to get it wrong, but also because the twists and turns are meant to be discovered. Mm -hmm. There is a monologue about two thirds of the way through the show. I think that Usher delivers on what it means to be a black gay man and the way the public views them or talks about them, whether it's as black, whether it's as gay or whether it is as black gay, how, how all of that perception alters and shapes them. And I was probably a it was probably a two minute monologue dropped in the middle of a musical and it was silence behind it. There was no underscoring, there was no nothing. The actor finished delivering it, and it's the first time I've ever seen a standing ovation for a musical for not music. That's astounding. It was like I had chills in that moment. It was it was amazing. Strange loop. It's good theater. Strange Loop also was the only show. Here's a here's a piece of trivia for you. The only mm-hmm. show I saw this week that did not utilize 
at least one turntable. <laughs> okay. The Hamilton effect is real. All these shows yep. have turntables now. Uh, Funny Girl had two that spun in opposite directions, mostly for set to come on and off and some entrances. Mm-hmm. Christmas Carol had one because uh, it was a one-man show. He needed all the help he could get. Right. And Juliet has one, and they turned it into a like a little mini stage at Rose. It was really cool. Wicked has, tur- has turntables and stuff and everything else. Kimberly Akimbo had a little one, but Kimberly Akimbo did a, this other cool tech thing that we'll talk about. But before we talk about the other shows, Cassie has some questions about a museum. I do. So the Broadway Museum, the Museum of Broadway. Museum of Broadway. Has opened recently, and I've been living vicariously through people's TikToks as they go through what just seems to be an amazing collection of paraphernalia and costumes and set pieces and history and i want to go to there so badly please tell me that it's everything i want it to be it's everything you want it to be yay it's everything you want it to be and more it's uh only been open for about a month to the public so that was kind of cool it's not done there's another part that they're still finishing apparently uh tickets are about 40 bucks so that's not bad um, you have to have like a timed entrance for that. And then there's like a flex option that gives you a better entrance window. Um, that's more expensive, but it is in an old theater kind of, um, that they've renovated. You go in and it's the store and you enter in the back and then you actually enter in and then they send you to the basement first. And then the first like 15 minutes are heavily guided. And they take you and they follow, you follow the performer's entrance to the stage. So you start in the basement dressing room and then you work your way up a stairwell to and then you can enter the actual museum at the top of the building. And then you work your way down through three stories of museum. So cool. It's really cool. Like it's so extra and I love it. It's Broadway. Broadway people made this. Like this is not like... It's not like the Museum of Natural History was like, hey, guys, you want you want a museum? We can help. It's like, no, this is Broadway people did this, thought this through. It's an experience. Through. It is. It is absolutely an experience. There's a video that you watch at the beginning. You sit in a little theater and watch it where it kind of details the history of Broadway from its founding up until like the 1920s. And that's it's all very structured until then. And then from there on out, you can take however long you want to walk through the whole thing. I spent about two hours in there. And I could have spent another hour. Marvelous. It's just amazing. Worth every penny. Uh, you start on at the top and you work your way through um, all of the history of Broadway, uh, basically decade by decade, going back to minstrel shows and everything there and original Broadway in the 1800s. And it moves you forward. They take you through decade by decade. And then each decade, they pull one or two shows out that they want to be their immersive rooms, you do, okay, so we talked about the 20s and the 30s, and we walk through, we talk about uh, the Depression, we talk about all this stuff, and then you walk into a Ziegfeld's Follies room, and the entire room is pink feathers. Like, the room is made out of pink feathers. Wall-to-wall, ceiling-to-floor, pink feathers. Like, it is amazing. And they have costumes, they have pieces, they have portraits, they have all this stuff. They have a couple people wandering throughout that'll tell you about each room or each piece. Um, also Broadway Nuts, which is great. <laughs> there was uh, there was an Oklahoma room where the room is cornstalks, 
and it's a little maze you have to work your way through to find everything. They recreated the West Side Story drugstore as a room. There's, uh, I have a picture of me behind the cash register. It's great. There is a phone booth. They have a rent room. Of course. Where it's where it's literally like they have a bunch of the old set from Rent and they turned it into the room. How do you just have the set of a 30-year-old show just lying around? They just have junk from the set. Like, I don't want to give everything away because it's there's there's so much. It's so cool. It's so, so, so cool. In the Phantom Andrew Lloyd Webber area, they have a, a, a special section where they have what they're calling the expanded chandelier. Where there is a, it, it's super <laughs> dumb when I explain it, but it's so cool to look at. They have created a hanging light show where a, a single uh, diamond or fake diamond or whatever it is, is hung for every single performance of Phantom up through what the original closing date was scheduled to be. And it falls and it uh, in the shape of the chandelier from the show, each individual thing to make up a whole picture. And if you look at it at the right angle, it turns into the phantom mask. It's one of those things. That's pretty but cool. This is, but this is also uh, like 12 feet tall. Like That's floor to cool. ceiling. It's it's really cool. I can appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's still a Weber show, but it looks cool. They have uh, set models from everything from the last 25 years they have a fully blown out wicked model each part of the theater so like they show you like the wall of the rehearsal room side of the theater like if you were to take away the outside wall they show you the wall that is like the business side um they show you all the stage hands and everything it's like it's so cool i saw tiktok of that that alone i could have spent like 30 minutes just staring at Mm -hmm. it's amazing um you go through all of the history and then they take you through basically what it means, like what it, the process is to put on a Broadway show. Um, so they like start with, you know, writing, and then they go through all the tech, and they go through all the the music and the singing and the dancing, and the they have a little section dedicated to each thing. But like when they talked about what the parts of the stage are, they have a literal stage that you can walk onto. It's probably. 15 feet by 15 feet and it's all marked up so you can kind of know where things are but then uh, you step center and a projector turns on and on the wall in front of you it flashes through shots of the houses of every Broadway theater oh cool so you're standing center and you're watching each theater appear in front of you like you were center on each of those stages someday I'm going to go to New York City and I'm going to drag my husband to this museum and I'm going to want to spend three hours there. And he is not going to want to spend three hours there. No, he's not. But I am. Just tell him to bring his camera. <laughs> tell him to bring his camera and take some pictures. It's, some of it's really, really cool. There is something else somewhere in New York City that he really wants to see that I have no interest in. Sure. So we'll just divide that day. There you go. There you go. That's fine. That's fine. He can be wrong. He would love it, I'm sure, for like... A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, like an hour. Uh, it's so good. Highly recommend. I've talked a lot. You have. But we are we are coming up on the show that I am maybe the most curious about. And Juliet? Yeah. So and Juliet is a show. Because we, we have talked on this podcast about how I feel about jukebox musicals. How do you feel about jukebox musicals? I Cassie? don't like them. 
Why do you think they're lesser? It's not that I think they're lesser. It's just that they're not for me. I don't like them. However, everything that I've seen in promotional videos and in TikToks that people have made about the story of Anne mm-hmm. Juliet and mm-hmm. the the framing narrative and the meta with Shakespeare and his wife arguing about how to end this story, like that is yep. so up my alley. Cassie, I found a jukebox music that you're gonna <laughs> like. They've done it. If this might it might be it might be the one that gets me. Okay, so Anne Juliet is the most fun I had all week. Good. It is the most fun I had all week. It is not. It is not the best show I saw. It is not the show that's gonna win the Tony. Spoilers, that's Kimberly Akimbo. It is the show that is going to have the longest life on Broadway, I think. Okay. This thing is absolutely going to tour. Um, and I am terrified and ecstatic to watch the terrible high school productions of this show <laughs> far into the future. I don't know how that's going to work from a rights standpoint because uh, this music is famous. But here we are. So Anne Juliet begins with all of the actors in the troupe playing actors in let me back up this is a show within a show the actors are playing shakespeare's theater company performing romeo and juliet see i love it already ryan i love it already okay so every broadway show gets held for at least five minutes and that's just how it works all of the actors came out on stage at 759 in character and started warming up and teaching each other choreography and a couple of them even like kicked it up and sat on the side of the stage and started talking to the front row oh my god i love it so much they were literally killing time waiting for shakespeare to show up oh yes and they have the they have the giant and juliet sign which is also the logo for the show it's a sign it's a giant light up neon sign that is hanging there and you're staring at it as the actors are coming on some of them start gathering other letters from around the stage and start hanging them because it's supposed to say romeo and juliet except it doesn't they got ome before shakespeare showed up and at one point they were going for the r and it was clearly a bit and i loved it but it was a bit two of them went we got this and then they went to pick it up they're like nah it's too heavy we can let somebody else do it and walked away like (laughs) Like, this is great, guys. Like, I could just watch this. Oh. Delightful. Shakespeare shows up. It is the final rehearsal for his new play, Romeo and Juliet. And he has finally written the ending. And he hands out the ending. He is very excited for how this show ends. Romeo kills himself. Juliet kills herself. Done. And then his wife shows up. Anne Hathaway shows up. They make a lot of jokes about her name being Anne Hathaway. It's very great. The fourth wall is non-existent in this show. It's not there. It does not exist. Anne Hathaway shows up, and she is very, very excited to get to see her husband's work and to try to form this, forge this connection with him that she feels like they're missing. They've been married for a while. They already have kids. They're already, like, they're, like, 15 years into it. They're trying to recreate the spark of their, their connection, of their marriage. And she is very, very excited because she believes that He has finally written their love story as a play. Whoops. That is not the case. She hears how it ends, gets very upset, takes his magical quill, 
which I'm not sure if it's actually magic or if it's just pretend magic, but the magical quill writes the rest of the show. Whichever one of them, Shakespeare or Anne, has the quill gets to dictate how the show goes in real time. Yeah, I love everything about this. Right? So the entire purpose of this show is Anne and and Shakespeare are trying to work together to rewrite this ending Anne in the way that she wants it to go because of the way she wants her life and relationship to go. And Shakespeare is trying to write a good play, what he believes is a good play, and then eventually realizes, oh, shoot, uh, maybe this is like real life implications. It's not great. And then as Anne is fighting for the ending she wants, eventually the quill breaks and then nobody can tell Juliet what to do anymore. And Juliet gets her own agency. And that's the that's the show, in a nutshell, in a very very grand s- scale of the. Except that sometimes they break out into Katy Perry. Except sometimes they sit in Katy Perry. Okay, so, okay, that is that is the overview, the grand overview of this show. If you are not sold yet, the list of songs in this show is absurd. Uh huh. However, you're gonna appreciate this part. Do you know the connecting theme? No. Because you've seen this list. Have I've you seen heard? The you've list. seen this yeah. list of what all. So the list is larger than life. I want it that way, baby. One more time. So it's Bad Street Boys, Britney Spears, Jesse J, Robin Kesha, Demi Lovato, Katy Perry, Ariana Grande, Bon Jovi, Ellie Goulding, Kelly Clarkson, Adam Lambert, Iggy Azalea, Celine Dion, NSYNC, Pink, Justin Timberlake. Okay, these are all of the songs. Right, these are all the performers. They are all tied together by Max Martin, who either wrote or produced every single one of these songs. They're his songs. He's the unnamed author of this not Shakespeare Shakespeare show. Ryan, when I tell you that I love this, this shouldn't oh. it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. It is firmly tongue-in-cheek. There is no fourth wall. They make so many Shakespeare references. It knows it's a Shakespeare show, and it treats Shakespeare like something malleable to be played with and changed with and messed with, and I love it. It's dirty. It is all over the place. It is cheesy. It uh, just randomly introduces characters and randomly goes, hey, we're going to take four left turns to get to this next plot point, and it is so Shakespeare. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love great. it. I could, I could watch this show like three or four times oh, in a row, and it'd be great. great. And then the way they work all of these songs in—it's so clever. I'm going to spoil mm-hmm. one t- to nail the point home. So Juliet isn't dead. She leaves. She has to run away because her parents are going to send her to a nunnery. Yeah, like you do, because her husband's dead and she's 14, so she has to go to a nunnery now. She runs away. With her nurse, whose name is Angelique, who in this version is black. Also, Juliet's black. Also, her parents are black. It's a very diverse cast. It's great. They introduce two new characters immediately because Anne says, why doesn't Juliet have any friends? So she gets friends. She gets a her first friend's name is May, who is a gender fluid character. And the uh, the I don't even know their pronouns. The person who played this will probably win a Tony or at least get nominated. And they talk about Shakespeare. This is a gender fluid. Why don't why can't we name narrow it? Can't we name it? Can't we put a label on it? Can't we whatever? Can't we do something? And Shakespeare's very up in arms like, 
come on, we have to like we're gonna write this down and we have to put it down. And Anne has a great little monologue about how uh, that goes against the very core of who Shakespeare is. That we can just say this gender character's gender queer because you have men playing women playing men playing women. Yeah. So why is this a problem? It's great. I love it. Uh, and then Anne decides that she wants to be in the story, so she writes herself into the story as April. So Juliet's best friends are April and May. Ugh. They run away to Paris, and then they get there. They find a party, a ball. They meet more original characters. Um, Francois de Bois, which Juliet cannot pronounce, so she calls him Frankie de Bois, which is better and worse. Uh, and his dad... His dad is Lance. Lance desperately wants his son to marry or else he's going to send his son to join the army because that's the only thing he can do. So Frankie, the boy, and Juliet have a chance meeting at a party, realize that they have some sort of connection, would probably be good friends, but then realize, hey, my parents are going to send me to a nunnery. Hey, my dad's going to send me to the army. Why don't we just get married? This sounds familiar. So I built all of this up for, and this is like a week later too. Like they treat this in real time. Mm -hmm. This is like a week later. Frankie gets down on one knee and proposes to Juliet. There's a light shift. Juliet deadpans to the audience. Oops, I did it again. And then they go. And that is the song. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah, it is. And that's that. This is the show. If this hasn't sold you to go watch <laughs> this show, yeah, it's it's amazing. Ah, uh, this show is so good. Man, I'm gonna like a jukebox musical. It is messy. It is not gonna be the best musical. It's got. It's too messy. Uh, it's too big. I don't think it will win best musical. Kimberly and Kimbo probably should. It has more of a case, but. I love this show, and I want to watch it over and over and over again. I have been listening to the cast recording, because there is one of the Broadway cast now, nonstop. And the only thing I will say about that is knowing the context of the songs makes the cast recording better. Mm-hmm. Like, the cast recording's fine, as it is, but knowing, like, the context of it in the specific moments in the show helps so much, because... The songs are so well written into the, the the fabric of this story. Oh, by the way, also Romeo uh, comes back to life, and that's the act one finale. Cool. It's great. Um, and he sings, It's My Life. Okay. It's great. He ascends to the heavens to sing, It's My Life. It's great. Um, towards the end of the show, uh, somehow Shakespeare and Romeo and May, who has fallen in love with Frankie but can't tell Juliet that they love Frank. It's, all, it's Shakespeare. Um, they all somehow, through the magic of Shakespeare's quill, form uh, the Dubois family band, and they get back together, and they're going to perform for uh, Francois's wedding. So, of course, they are de decked out as the shiny silver Backstreet Boys, uh -huh. and they are, in fact, the Du Bois band. There was a T-shirt. I did not buy it. I regret that decision. <laughs> and they sing, Du Bois are back. All right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It hurts and I love it. But uh Kimberly Akimbo. Yes. <laughs> hard hard shift. Hard shift to Kimberly Akimbo. Have we talked about the it much on this? We've talked about it a little bit. We we read the synopsis of it. 
but not not a lot beyond that. What do you think this show is, Cassie? I honestly don't know. It's weird is what it is. Is it weird? It's it's real weird. Like good weird? Like very good oh, very good weird. Like heart wrenching weird. The entire cast is nine people. Almost all of the action takes place at Kimberly's house or at school with the other teenagers or at the ice rink where they hang out. Um, it is the story of Kimberly who has a rare genetic condition where she ages four times faster and she's about to turn 16. So that puts her at about 70. Right. Appearing to be about 70. And the kicker of the show is that the average lifespan for people with this condition is 16. So we watch it's just through a couple of days. It's her it's and her very dysfunctional family dealing with a lot of, a lot of stuff like lower middle class family dealing with a lot of stuff. Her mom's pregnant. Her dad's a drunk. Her aunt shows up and she's a klepto. Every, every character flaw can be traced back to trying to deal with Kimberly's condition on their own and how they are coping on their own in one form or another. But they are also all complete individual characters apart from that. Um, and then there are also... So there's the family, there's the four of them, and then there's five teenagers. There's four teenagers that are a group of friends. They're trying to get costumes for show choir. And they're just kind of there and keep the story going so that it's more than just the family. Um, and then there is uh, a boy named Seth. Kimberly forges a connection with. You can watch it on YouTube now. They've There's a video of the Kimberly and Seth performing anagrams, which is delightful um so uh, kimberly's last name is actually the last name is like von something uh akimbo comes from seth who is a puzzles guy and loves making anagrams of people's names so akimbo come is part of that anagram that he comes up with for her name it is deeply moving it, it covers a lot of really deep questions very cleverly uh, it is paced really well. It has a couple of really good twists and turns. You can feel the show ending, and you truthfully don't know how it's going to wrap up. There's a couple very obvious ways that it could end. Uh, and they somehow found another option. Okay. I, I really res- liked and respected that they could do that um, and figure out a way to do that. It's very, very good. It's very, very, very good. Victoria Clark plays Kimberly. She is, I think she herself is 67 or something like that. There's a moment in the show where Kimberly has to dress up like a grandma. And for the first time we see like the actual actress in her age step out Mm -hmm. in that moment. Could have heard a pin drop in that theater. It was really, really good. Um, She should win Best Actress for this show. And then uh, Justin Cooley plays uh, Seth Weaver, and he is fresh off of the Jimmy Awards. Mm-hmm. I've heard I the believe, name. I think he's 19 or 20 um, playing a 16-year-old, so that's as close as they're going to get yeah. probably. on Broadway, yeah. Man, he's good. Man, he's so good. So, so, so good. I really enjoyed sitting in the theater and watching it. I, I enjoyed getting to see it. I don't know how you do this show outside of Broadway. It's a really, really good story. If 13 and Fun Home 
had a baby, this is what that show would be. Okay. A lot of teenage angst, but also a lot of family drama. Okay. And maybe a, and a, a smidge of next to normal for all the mental health issues. And that's Kimberly Akimbo. Good stuff. And that's it. I didn't see anything else. You saw like this obscure, not very well known, like just little show, right? Just to wrap it up. I certainly wouldn't go see the top grossing show on Broadway just because I hadn't seen it yet. I certainly would not stoop so low. So have you never seen Wicked before? Like I had never seen Wicked before. I had seen a bootleg of Adina and Kristen, okay. but I had never sat in a theater and, seen... and watched Wicked. Okay. Because I yeah. had seen two or three tours of the show mm-hmm. at sure. various points through high school and college. I had loaded in a tour of Wicked at one point at the Stranahan. Cool. Like, I had done load in for Wicked, but I hadn't actually seen Wicked. Yeah. Uh, Chase and I saw it last year when we were in New York. Um, and seeing it on Broadway is just a whole nother Oh, my God. whole nother thing. A whole nother um, thing. And you talked about um, Brittany Johnson, who's the first black Glinda. Um, my fairy tale podcast co-host, Drew, is absolutely obsessed with her. Um, with good reason. And when when we saw it... She was still understudying Glinda. She hadn't stepped mm-hmm. into the role yet. And we got our programs and we sat down and I opened my program and the little white piece of paper fell out. And I was like, am I going to get to see Brittany Johnson? And the answer was no. Um, it was we saw Elphaba's understudy, um, who gotcha. was phenomenal. Um, but I, I was like, Drew is going to kill me if I <laughs> go go see Wicked more or less on a whim and end up seeing his like dream Glinda perform, but I've seen clips of her doing um, "Thank Goodness" and doing you know some of those, and and everything I've seen from her is phenomenal. So I'm excited to hear if if it lives up to. I wondered if she was a little sick because she's obviously a soprano, and all of her soprano stuff was amazing. But anytime she had to go lower or hold anything or try to sustain anything, so like. Uh, at the beginning of Act Two, um, when they sing, oh gosh, she's standing on the podium with the microphone. Thank and goodness. Sing. Thank goodness. Uh, it was not great. Mm. Like, like it was, it was fine. It was acceptable, but that's not what you expect. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I kind of wondered if she was a little sick or if something was going on because she just didn't. It didn't feel like she had that lower register power. Yeah. So, and I hope that was just the show I was at and wasn't how it actually was. But. Um, her Galinda was was very different, I think. Supposed to be a complete airhead. At the beginning, yeah. But she maintained it throughout. Like there was there was no point in this in that performance where I thought that Glinda knew what she was doing. Okay. I Brittany Johnson knew what she was doing the entire time. Like yeah. everything she did was very specific and on purpose. And I'm watching it happen and I'm going wow, Glinda, Glinda's kind of terrible. Yes. All right. Glinda's the worst. Yes. Glinda, wow. Wow. Okay, you are really leaning into this. Okay, cool. It was it was a, a slightly different take on Glinda, as I understand it. Because, like, she gets to the end, right? And she's singing for good. And I'm like, this is incredible and moving, and I'm sobbing over here. But also, like, Glinda, have you done anything? Like in Defying Gravity, Alphaba goes, uh, uh, 
Linda come with me. Think of what we could do together. And I'm like, she can't do anything. <laughs> she talks good sometimes. And she's popular. She can't do anything. I had never had that visceral reaction to it before. So I know Brittany Johnson's very good. Yeah. It was very specific and very good. I think that's a really interesting take on that character because it's, there's that very classic line in, in popular about think of the great leaders of the world. Did they have brains or knowledge? Don't make me laugh. They were popular. Yeah. And, and I think embodying that with Glinda and then at the very end, she is forced to recognize that she has that privilege and now she has to actually use it for yeah. good. So she does get to wrap it up at the end. She takes care of the wizard. She takes care of Madame. Madame Morble. Oh, Madame Morble. I was going to say Mistress Morble, and that's not right. Madame Morble, she wraps it all up. She takes the book. She takes the wand. She takes the bubble. She does, like, she's set and she's ready to go. And that's the first time that it felt like, okay, Glinda is being forced into actually owning this. Mm -hmm. And she played it so well. Um, It was just, it was really well done. It was really well played. By her. It was very, very, very specific. Yeah. At no point did I think, is this Glinda different because she's black? At no point did I think Good. that. Good. And it would have been very easy to think that. I did not think that uh, at all. Uh, it helps that they have a diverse cast. Uh, the wizard is played by Cleveland Derricks, who is also black. There's diversity within the ensemble as well, so that's good. Um, and then Talia uh, Suskauer. Suskauer? Sus- I'm not saying that right. I don't know. She's Alphaba, and she's incredible. And my God, she can belt. She's amazing. She was the um, tour Alphaba for several years, okay. apparently. And then post-COVID um, came to Broadway and has been doing the role there. And wow, she's good. She's so, so good. Wicked is really good. It's going to run for a while. It's been running as long as it has for a reason. Yep. It was It was robbed. When we talk about shows that were robbed, Wicked was robbed. Robbed, hundred percent. In so many categories, Ryan. Just top to bottom, top to bottom. Let's go back and redo that. If I had a time machine, I'd probably. I, this isn't the first thing on my list, but it's up there. It lost best musical and best score to Avenue Q. Sure did. Yeah. Yep. Hey, some of those puppets are sitting right next to the giant Wicked set. In the museum, there's like, here's a puppet, here's a puppet, here's the entire Wicked display. I'm like, that's right. Good job. Yeah. Accurate, Somebody with correct. a vendetta <laughs> put that particular set somebody, of somebody, Somebody pro-Wicked uh-huh. got the got their hands on that design. Wicked's real good. It's going to uh, – I'm very interested to see if it maintains its success after the films come out. So the part one comes out Christmas 2024, so Broadway's good till then. Mm-hmm. And then I imagine part two would come out a year later, Christmas 2025, would make sense based on how movies like that have been released before. Yeah. So then I imagine it's good on Broadway through then, through 2025 Christmas, and then you give it a couple of months and see if there's a fall off at, after that point. Yeah. Because it will either be... No, it's a landmark. People still want to go see it because they've seen the movies and now they want to see it live. Or, nope, we have the movies. That's good enough. And then we'll see. So I think it's got at least through Christmas 2025. If we are still doing the show by then, I'm calling this shot three years out. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, this is a long shot. 
that I'm calling here. How many seats in that theater, Cassie? I looked it up. It is the biggest theater it's, on Broadway. It's a lot. Is it a thousand seat house? Higher. Fifteen hundred? Higher. Really? One thousand nine hundred and fifty-five. Chase and I were under the balcony, so like I couldn't get a sense of how big the actual space was. It's so big. Did you go around and see all the lobby displays? Oh, absolutely I did. Um, there's full murals on walls. Mm-hmm. The There's a, a hall of fame throughout the building. Um, there's all sorts everywhere. They've got old set pieces out, and they've got old, like you could sit in and take your picture in one of the old Nessa Rose wheelchairs. That was pretty cool. It was a whole experience apart from just seeing the show. There's a, there's a BGSU theater person's name engraved on a wall i took a picture of it really oh is it um sean mormon no lillian gish lillian gish's name is on a wall somewhere theater okay, hall of yeah, fame that makes sense that makes sense she's got her name in a lot of places yeah uh, uh related to other things that we've talked about previously next door to wicked uh was k-pop and it was still being advertised ah. but yeah they sold they sell they sell almost two thousand tickets to eight shows a week on Broadway. There's a reason it is still running. They're fine. They're doing fine. They could sell half of that house and be fine. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, that sounds like a truly phenomenal trip, Ryan. It's pretty good. Um, Our, I don't think I got to bring Paris with me. Uh, Their presence was never made known to me. Um, So maybe they are making their way across the Atlantic to the wicked set. You really would. You really would think that, Paris would eat up at Juliet. Yeah, it was made for them, pretty much. They do reference Paris in the show, See? but Paris never appears. Yeah, there can only be one. So Paris never shows up. Paris, our Paris <laughs> is on the way to London, so that's how that works. All right, well, I hope he has safe travels overseas. Gosh, this is going to be a long one to edit. This is, and man, you did that to yourself, my friend. Oh, man. All right, so oh, let's, a good trip. let's wrap this up. If this is a little Let's late, please. it's because we're recording it like three days before it has to drop. And Ryan's got a busy weekend because it's New Year's yeah, weekend. I do. It's New Year's weekend. So many parties. So little time. That's not true. I got to go finish writing the game I'm running. <laughs> hey, my husband tonight. said something similar today earlier. Crazy, I know. right? It's funny how that works. Procrastinators, uh, you. you never. <laughs> never. I was in New York. Uh-huh. Okay. I also may have forgotten about it, but that's fine. I won't tell. Uh, I'll probably tell on myself. It's kind of funny. Thank you so much for coming along with us uh, on this, my my Christmas journey to New York City. Uh, hopefully you get something out of it and it's not just listening to me rant about shows and Cassie gush over the shows she wants to see. But, you know, that's what we're here for. And we only get to do this so many times. So thank you. You can check out the rest of the fine shows on the Ghostlight Media Network at ghostlightmedia.net. But that's all that we have for today. We have talked about so many shows. Next episode, we will be back probably with Matilda because Cassie... Oh, we have to talk, to about, talk Matilda. about Matilda. We have to talk about Matilda and we have to talk about the very bad plays I have spent the last two weeks reading. Oh, it'll be a delight. And I'll have uh, just a couple of weeks before Newsies goes up at that point. So Ooh. we will have many, many other things to talk about. But until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And join us next time by the Ghost Light.
This has been a Ghostlight Media production.